Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 154. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey Nick, how's it going? Much better now, thanks. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, this is the start of another uh, two-parter, shockingly. Two-parter? Wow. Man, that's unprecedented. Unprecedented in nerd journey history. Yeah, so we're interviewing uh, Tom Hatch, right? Yep. Salt is the open source project that Tom Hatch originally built, and then Salt Stack is the company that he built around it. Nice. And I say we, but I actually wasn't able to make this recording, so you were the one who did it. Um, that was kind of a bummer for me. Uh, I was excited and looking forward to it. But um, what what was your uh, observation kind of uh, going into the interview? The last couple episodes were us interviewing Scott Lowe. And remember, he got into technical instruction. Interestingly enough, Tom Hatch got into technical instruction, but in a very different way. He was actually a gifted public speaker. He loved it. And I, I thought that was super interesting. You know, that's not something that a lot of people enjoy, like. It's kind of against the grain. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, it's a really interesting uh, way to get into the industry. SaltStack was eventually acquired by VMware. And, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to be there for the interview was, like, that happened. It was, I think, one of the major acquisitions after I left VMware um, in the year after. So I wasn't that close to it, and I didn't understand or didn't have the the, the thought about it um, explained to me. I had to kind of do some independent research, um, and it was really kind of my introduction to SALT doing that research at the time. And uh, so, again, kind of bummed that I wasn't able to, to make it. Um, it was, at least for me, like interesting to hear about the personal issues that can arise from uh, being successful at having an open source project uh, and, you know, having a successful startup um, around it. So uh, look out for that. I think the other thing that I found interesting and maybe, you know, people can watch out for was that there's a fairly large chunk on interviewing on both sides of the interview. If you are, you know, looking for nuggets on interviewing and being interviewed, uh, so, you know, how to successfully be interviewed. This is a, a really good episode to listen to. So without too much additional delay, let's get into episode number 154, part one of our interview with Tom Hatch. Welcome to Nerd Journey. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Really appreciate you joining us. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today, please? Yeah, sure. 
So, uh, yeah, my name's Tom Hatch. I am the original creator of a piece of software called Salt, and I founded a company called SaltStack. Uh, a year ago, we got acquired by VMware, and uh, I've been working in VMware as a senior staff engineer and uh, moving things forward with the whole SaltStack group. And uh, so, yeah, my background is primarily uh, entrepreneurship, business management, and uh, software development. Well, let's peel back the onion a little bit on that background, because I know you didn't come out of the gate a co-founder and entrepreneur. It started a little bit earlier than that. How did you get into tech in the first place? So, I uh, the the way I like to say it is, I wasn't uh, I wasn't raised a nerd. I didn't uh, I didn't really get into technology until I was in my late teens, and uh, I started building computers. And I didn't learn how to write software until I was in my uh, kind of mid-20s. And so it was actually a career shift because I was starting to go down kind of a business uh, business management path and realized that after my first startup failed, <laughs> that I really liked just working with the computers. And so I uh, spent a lot of time learning how to write software, learning how Linux works, uh, so that I get a really good firm understanding of how computers actually worked and uh yeah worked my worked my way up that chain oh wow now you learned linux and you were an instructor for a little while right in the in the mid in the early 2000s yeah yeah so uh yeah in the late 2000s so back in 2007 i got a job working for red hat as an instructor that was actually my first real job at a my first tech job out of college and yeah so they fly me all over the place uh, teaching teaching classes on Red Hat Linux and administering the Red Hat uh, Certified Engineer exam. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Now, what made you want to be an instructor in the first place? I mean, it, it, did you did you tinker with it a lot in your college coursework and just really want to share that with others, or was it, hey, this is a this seems like a good job. I'm going to go for it. So I was, uh, so I never graduated. I, I dropped out, uh, never finished my bachelor's degree uh, because I was getting a little older and I just saw a job opportunity pop up. I'd heard of these, uh, I'd, I'd heard of this local company that did, uh, that did instruction and they were a contractor for Red Hat and I shot them a resume just kind of out of the blue going, I wonder if this goes anywhere. Uh, and I was surprised when they called me in and they just put me in front of a bunch of people and said, hey, teach them how Linux permissions work. And I kind of teach how Linux permissions work. And that was the job interview. And at the end of the job interview, uh, the guy who owned the company came up to me and said, look, man, your uh, your technical skills need some work, but you can talk. And that's really hard to find. So we're going to send you out to a class. And if you pass this test at the end of the week, we'll hire you. And you can be an instructor. I was thrilled. I just wanted a job that wasn't garbage, right? Sure. And then, yeah, so they, they sent me out to a Red Hat certified engineer class. And uh, I get to the end of the class. I'd never been a system admin, right? I just tinkered and worked on stuff in my basement. And I get to the end of the week and studied my brains out. And I passed the test. I later found out that a tiny percentage of people passed that thing on their first go. And so they were just saying, hey, we're amazed. Uh, sure, you're hired. 
and then they fly me out to St. Louis to teach a class, I'm scared out of my mind. I'm sitting there Sunday night, you know, basically fetal position in the corner of a hotel room thinking, how would I get into this mess? What am I? I I'm not going to be able to talk for a full week on this stuff. I barely know what I'm doing. I go and I uh, start teaching this class, and it was magic, right? I, I get there, I open my mouth, uh, and, and I just taught the whole class, you know, and I kept talking the whole week. It was one of those life moments where I realized that there was something I was really passionate about and I was good at. And then at the end of the class, one guy's writing a review, and in the review he says, wow, it's really refreshing that we get somebody with a PhD in here to actually teach this stuff. And I'm thinking, I never said that, man. Yeah, they put words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But I left that week kind of going, I can do this, right? It was, it was a really transformative experience for me from just a guy who was trying to find a good job and break into tech. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the span of a few weeks, I've got my Red Hat Certified Engineer, uh, they're sending me out to become uh, somebody who can uh, administer the exams. I'm teaching classes and getting great reviews. It was it was mind-boggling, the level of transformation that, that happened in such a short period of time. No kidding. You mentioned that the interviewer said, hey, you can talk in front of people. Had that been a skill that always came natural to you? Had you had some practice before that? Because that's something... A lot of people fear, you know, a lot of people fear public speaking and it, it's something that, especially in the technology field, that we all really need to practice to make ourselves better, especially when we're demonstrating learning material. I have always loved public speaking, uh, even when I was uh, even when I was a teenager. Uh, any opportunity I had, um, I spent some time acting. Uh, I would, uh, I mean, basically any opportunity to give presentations. I mean, you ask if it, if it goes back when I was, uh, okay, let's see. Uh, so I started a company right after, right after I got married in my early twenties, uh, doing media duplication and that thing went belly up. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Uh, it was a disaster and I, I sell everything and I'm, uh, I'm from Utah. So I'm living in Salt Lake at the time and say, look, through this experience, right, I learned that I like computers. I sell everything I've got, move my family down to Cedar City and go to Southern Utah University because they'd let me in. I start taking a class down there and the professor doesn't show up like third, you know, third class in. And you, you, the first time you assume, okay, you know, guy had an emergency or something, right? You know, you always right. give somebody the benefit yeah. of the doubt. Come back the next day that, that the class is on, he doesn't show up again. So all the students kind of start filing out about five minutes in, and I stand up in the back of the class and say, you guys sit down. We're not, you're not going anywhere. And I walk up to the front of the class and say, I'll teach the lesson. I read ahead. I know what we're talking about. I'm going to teach the lesson today. This, this professor, he doesn't work there anymore <laughs> for obvious reasons. Certainly. Uh, this professor only showed up for maybe a third of his classes that term. I ended up teaching half of his class. Wow. Uh, just because I said I'm I'm getting up there, I actually won that semester via write-in vote as uh, best uh, best computer science professor. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, no, I love public speaking. I love getting up in front of people. So I'm 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 kind of broken that way, broken in a good way. I wouldn't call it broken. I'd call that kind of a superpower. When you 
when you mentioned you read ahead, it sounds like you're someone who has mastered the art of learning things quickly and that you know how to learn things quickly. Is that accurate or how would you describe that? I would say the trick to learning things quickly is to not not uh, worry too much about learning them quickly. Uh, the way uh, the way that I like to learn is to is to kind of wander around, right? Meander about the subject and to dive in deep. One of the things that uh, that we'd always do at SaltStack, uh, I would explain that the people that we want to hire are people who are who are passionate. I feel really strongly that uh, if you've got passion for the subject, if you care about it, if it means a lot to you, then it's gonna it's it's gonna be something that you're gonna dig into deep. And so the interview process that we followed was really one to find people who were passionate. So what we do is we'd ask a bunch of questions and kind of surface level questions, right? So say it's a Python job, and we'd say, hey, tell me about threading in Python. And depending on how well they answer that question, we'd ask deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper questions until we were saying things like, how does the Python gill switching over affect the operating system's uh, CPU scheduling for the process? And and you just dig deep, 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 deep until the person runs out of steam. And you can tell if somebody's passionate because they have independently gone deep into these subjects. And you'll find these areas where, where they have that that depth of understanding. And that passion is something that I think matters a lot more than like you said, just learning quickly. That passion means that uh, that it's something that's internal to them. It's something that that drives the person emotionally, and that's where you where you not just learn quickly, but but you develop kind of this depth of understanding about the foundations of the technology that you're working with, and that's that's what I think is exciting. Yeah, and it sounds like that approach would actually help someone take the pressure off themselves because they're just peeling back the onion a little bit more and maybe it doesn't feel so much like work anymore it's just a fun exploration oh yeah no and that's and that's the way to i i definitely think that's the way to interview somebody because you also want to know what they're going to be like when they when they loosen up <laughs> well certainly what do you do so speaking of that interview process Let's say that I'm on the receiving end of those questions and you're asking me about Python and you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper and I get to the point where I can't answer the question anymore. And I say, you know what? I'm going to have to go find out or here's how I would figure it out. What kind of question, what kind of answer when someone doesn't actually know the answer would tell you that that person's passion is still there and that they have the ability to go and find out? So it's all about how much they are going to take personal ownership for their answers. Like you just said, you get to the point and you say, I don't know. I don't know is one of my favorite things to hear in an interview. I love it. Every now and then you interview somebody and they refuse to say that they don't know. I never want to talk to them again. <laughs> I mean, if somebody's looking at you and they're not, they're not willing to own up to the fact that they have failings and shortcomings, man, they you don't want to hire them. They are going to create such terrible problems for you. Just what you said is what I want to hear. I want to hear somebody who says, I don't know. I want to hear somebody who says, this is everything I know about, like around what you're talking about. This is how far I get, but this is where it ends. I want to know where it ends. I want to know where their understanding ends, but almost more importantly, 
I want to know that they are going to take personal accountability and ownership for who they are, because that means that they're going to be an upright person. That means that they're going to be somebody who I can rely on. Uh, you can't count on somebody who can't own their own self and where they are in life. I like that. Being honest about what you know and what you don't know. I, I feel like I saw a Reddit thread the other day where someone said, I lied about what I knew on my resume and I got this job and I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. And I'm sitting here thinking, but how did you get the job? And how did you get through the interview process after lying about that? <laughs> Man, that's, that's one thing that blows my mind about the interview process. Uh, you can do a lot with confidence. You walk in there and you exude confidence. Man, I've seen I've seen and talked to people who it blows absolutely blows my mind how many times I've talked to somebody, especially somebody who's been in like a VP level management position. And I interview and I'm going, this person has no idea what it means to be a VP of that at that level, no clue. But they've been doing it for 20 years. And the thing that fascinates me is that they're re they're always good at the interview. They're good at showing that they're confident and say, and being able to say, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. And they exude that confidence. But I ask them questions about, well, how does, how does this actually work, right? Why does using an agile process in a certain way actually work to drive higher productivity? And, and, and they snowball me, right? And, and it's easy to kind of step back and go, this person has, has been employed almost entirely on, on confidence. And they've just been causing problems for their previous employers. And almost every time I ran into somebody like that, I'd call up old companies and buddies, you know, at different companies that they'd worked for. The answer is always the same. Oh, man, don't touch that guy. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That guy just kind of sits in a corner and loves his position and, uh, and, and avoids getting fired by doing the bare minimum. And so, yeah, watch out for overconfidence. And when you're interviewing somebody, you got to be willing to call them on call them on the carpet, right? And say, "Buddy, I, I don't I don't think that's how that works. Help me out of here. Where where are you coming up with this?" Right, and and I like your approach in that you're not being mean to the person and you're not being rude. You're just trying to get them to give you the real story about who they are, what they've done, what their experience really is. It's like a sniff test. It's not a it's not to mm -hmm. beat the person down, but you have to determine, is it worth the risk for the company to take on this person, and will they be effective in what I'm looking for in a candidate, right? Yeah, and there's there's always a major risk when you're bringing somebody on. It's so much harder to get rid of somebody than it is to get somebody. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. And there's a lesson on the other side of this, I think, for our listeners who are going into interviews. Even though the job requirement may say that I need to be a certified Linux administrator. But if I have a decent grasp on a lot of the concepts and I can maybe describe, well, you know, I've done this, but I haven't done that, and here's how I might approach it, that sounds like a pretty good answer. And we shouldn't sell ourselves short in, well, I don't really meet all the qualifications in the job description, so I'm just not going to apply. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who doesn't apply because they don't meet all the, uh, every, yeah, everything in the job description, you're selling yourself short. Selling yourself short so badly. Man, nobody meets the requirements in those, those job descriptions. <laughs> I don't, I don't meet those qualifications in those job descriptions. But, but you apply anyway. 
If they don't call you back, then okay, it's not, you know, it's not the fit that they're looking for. Don't worry about it. So many of us are one, we we're afraid to kind of step up to a challenge that's that's put in front of us. And two, we're afraid of being rejected. Life is about rejection. Being rejected, I got to tell you, being rejected is one of the most beautiful things in the world. I love being rejected. I love it when somebody tells me no, and, and I'm almost to the point where I like it when something wrong happens, because there really is a silver lining. You learn something. You step back and go, whoa, I dodged a bullet there. They told me no, either because I'm not a good fit, they don't like me, or I honestly don't fit that job. I don't want to be in that position. That's great. You don't step back. Almost everybody steps back and says, oh, they said, no, I'm not good enough. No, 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 exactly. man, that's not what it means at all. It means you dodged a bullet, right? The puzzle the puzzle piece didn't fit. Go find some other part of the puzzle to stick it into and keep going. Yeah, and as hopefully as time goes on, you'll be able to see that that no, like you said, was actually one of the best things that ever happened to you. Man, over and over and over again. Yeah. So so many lessons to to take away. That's uh that's great. I, I really like that. So you mentioned you had you you made your media startup and it, and it kind of went under. You had to sell off the uh, proprietary information and such. How did you learn to start interviewing people when you had to do that? I mean, it's not something in my mind that just comes natural to someone who's who's starting to do it. Oh, how did I learn to interview other people to hire? Yes, most of uh, I think that the. The best experience I had, I worked for a company called Applied Signal Technology. So I was, uh, so after I was a trainer, I got laid off in 2008 along with, you know, everybody else. And uh, then I went to work for a company called Applied Signal Technology. They're a, or were a U.S. Uh, community, U.S. intelligence community contractor. And what that means is that they were a tertiary contractor to, um, three-letter intelligence agencies for the U.S. government. Uh, they were acquired by Raytheon a little bit, like six months after after I left. And I learned so much at that job. I got I, it was a it was an incredible privilege to work with some of the just most brilliant engineers I've ever worked with before. And the way that they interviewed uh, really helped me begin to understand how to do it. Uh, because they would bring bring an engineer in and they'd put him through two panels where you would have uh, right four or five people and they'd just grill them. And they were always very respectful. We would sit down and discuss the fact that that what we're looking for is some of the stuff that we're that that I've been talking about, uh, that they're looking for that technical understanding that it's really there. And at the same time, there were shortcomings, I would say, in the way that a lot of them interviewed. Most of these, most of these engineers were fresh out of college. And so they would ask a lot of more of, you know, introductory software, software development questions instead of some of those more nuanced questions. It's really important when you're interviewing somebody to look for a mixture of knowledge and wisdom, right? Somebody who's got the experience and they've been around the block and this is how I this is how to really dig into these kind of problems and the challenge that these guys had at this one place was that they were so knowledge focused and so yeah I started augmenting things at SaltStack I used their interviewing model as kind of my base 
but over the years augmented it to kind of say, how do I find passion? How do I find experience? How do I pivot from asking technical questions into unveiling an understanding of how someone's going to navigate a truly difficult task? And so that I'd be able to say, okay, this is the experience level. This is the knowledge level. These are the areas of knowledge that they have. These are the areas of experience that they have. And then what you get from that is to be able to say, how is this person going to function inside of this organization? How's this person going to function inside of this, uh, in, inside of this team? Is this the person who's going to augment the team the right way? Blows my mind how many times I've passed up somebody who did better on the technical stuff and had more experience. And I went with somebody who had less because I was able to say, that's the person that I need, not necessarily the person who impressed me the most. And when I've made those decisions, it's almost always paid off much better than when I just said, oh, well, that's the smartest guy we talked to. I'll take that guy. Wow, that's a great point. I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I've been through some of the panel interviews, and and I, I like it when they're done in an extremely respectful way. I, you know, I don't ever remember being put on the spot or being having someone be mean to me, but I, I like your approach of, the way you ask the questions and the mix of things you're looking for, in addition to just the knowledge base of, of someone. That's that's fascinating. Well, yeah, and if, if you're in an interview and they're not respectful, I mean, and there's a difference between aggressive and disrespectful, but because I, I like working for somebody who's got who's got guts, but if they're disrespectful, no, man, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. And... Uh, if, if you don't want to work with those people, man, don't work, don't work with those people. <laughs> this right. is tech. You have the freedom to say no. Yeah. This is tech. There's jobs out there, especially right now. Oh my goodness. hundred percent. There are many, many, you know, you mentioned Tom, the introduction into the intelligence community working for that contractor was the interview process you had to go through to get into that one. Was it more intense, more filled with background checks because of the confidentiality of information and things you might be dealing with? Yeah, so that was that was a really great job um, working for the intelligence community through a contractor. And how it worked is that uh, the initial the initial interview process was very much targeted towards, um, you know, technical capability. And then only after that, I sat down with uh, the office manager and he kind of went over, this job will require you to get a top secret clearance. And to get a top secret clearance, uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to put the rubber glove on and they're going to check your background. And if you have done any lists off a bunch of things, right, if you've done drugs, if you've taken bribes, if you've been arrested, if you have major financial liabilities, you know, the things that the intelligence community looks for, then you're, then, uh, you're not going to be able to keep this job. So, so only accept this job if that's not going to be a problem. And then it took, after I was hired, it took about four and a half, five months until my security clearance was completed. And man, they called everybody. I mean, they were calling childhood friends. Uh, they, oh, wow. they validated everything I said. It took me like two weeks to just fill out the paperwork. I mean, like two weeks full time. It was massive. Um, and yeah, in the end it was again, just this ridiculously thorough background check. 
And it's funny because they're not looking for somebody who's necessarily squeaky clean because nobody's perfect, right? They're looking for somebody who is going to, who has liabilities that could be exploited. And uh, which is which is why a lot of those people who end up uh, betraying the uh, the intelligence community, the military and these guys, it's oftentimes it's because they got money problems or because they've got drug addictions and which leads to money problems. <laughs> Certainly. And so, as you know, when they were able to come back, that it was interesting that those were the two big things they were looking for. Does this person have a ton of debt? And does he have a drug history? Wow. Yeah, and I, I've heard the top secret clearance can can take you some places if you if you want to make more money, have an interesting new opportunity. Uh, at least that's what I, my understanding. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Uh, I mean, and I can't talk in depth about a, a bunch of the stuff I did there. Certainly. Um, but it was it was intense. Uh, but it was also deeply satisfying and just one of just an incredible experience. And I mean, I was just writing software to automate stuff, right? I mean, I was I was an engineer, and I was writing. You know, I was on a team with brilliant people that uh, I, I certainly think smarter than me, especially from a technical perspective. Phenomenal people, but at the same time, uh, I mean, what I can say is that uh, you know we we were helping with top level security issues and top level uh, terrorist situations. Uh, that were going on uh, at at that time, and it was incredibly exciting and insightful. And even though I'd go home and I couldn't talk about it, I felt I felt honored to be able to work on that kind of stuff. Yeah, it hits the personal value button pretty hard to know that your work is dedicated to a cause that you really believe in. Yeah, yeah, we we were doing good stuff, and I get to say that this was this was a while back. I didn't I didn't touch anything that, you know, was domestic surveillance or anything like that. <laughs> and you you mentioned doing a lot of automation work and and software development based on the experience you had with Linux and at the time you were an instructor to the move over into the intelligence community. How how did you stair step into that ability to start automating things and doing more software development focused work? Because I can see a lot of people who maybe start out with that systems administration background and maybe they're looking to deepen their expertise or perhaps pursue a specialty. So I was one of the, uh, I mean, I was one of the guys who really early on in the DevOps and infrastructure as code movement was working with that type of systems automation. And uh, after I was at the intelligence community, was uh, when I was working for a startup called uh, Beyond Oblivion. And at the end of 2011, they fulfilled their name and they went Beyond Oblivion. And uh, I was uh, uh, I was there, uh, the company's infrastructure architect. And so I started by using Puppet to, uh, to automate uh, all of the Linux systems. And this is, again, back in uh, 2010, 2011. And ironically, it was, it was right after my brain surgery, uh, so, so I had a brain tumor removed uh, in February of 2010 uh, that was growing on my uh, 12th cranial nerve, uh, which controls the motor function of the left side of your tongue. And so the left side of my tongue is uh, paralyzed. It flaps around in my mouth, but can thankfully it can still feel pain, so I don't just chew it to bits. 
and uh, my uh, the left side of my brainstem has been compressed. And so that means that the left side of my body is just a little weaker. It's got a little less signal. And my left vocal cord is actually paralyzed. And it took, and so I couldn't talk for about two years until about uh, early 2012. I could just kind of barely whisper. So anyway, at the time, I'm working as, uh, as the infrastructure architect for this startup. And I've been playing around with kind of the core principles inside of SALT, which is fan out command and control since college. It did, it just kind of been a pet project of mine and I'd iterated on it a few times. Uh, and I, uh, got approval from the guys at this company. Yeah, I'm making an open source project, you know, and everything's above board. And so I end up with this fan out technology. That's crazy fast. I end up with this fan-out technology that's crazy fast. I can send a command to a large number of systems. And again, I've just been playing around with this stuff and teaching myself how to code for the most part. And then a buddy of mine comes to me at uh, at work and says, Tom, you really, you really hate Puppet. I bet you could do a better job. And I say back to him over and over again, no, no, I'd need to write a programming language and I don't want to grow a beard, which is just an old joke. If you look at a picture of uh, every successful programming language, I think only one of them has been made by somebody who doesn't have a beard, and that's C Sharp. And so, nice. I mean, that's Microsoft, so he's cheating anyway. So <laughs> so it's just kind of a, one of my running gags, you know, I don't want to grow a beard. I'm not going to make a programming language. But I figured out how to, how to do it without authoring a language and added uh, that type of automation into Salt so that we could do... Uh, declarative item potent uh, uh, system management. And another guy who is uh, the director of the office came to me and said, Tom, everybody hates, everybody in here hates Puppet. Uh, and, and, I, and I've heard through the grape, grapevine that you've made a thing that can compete with it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, just for fun. And he says, it's not for fun anymore. Make it work. And so I oh, spend wow. the next month and a half making it work, right? Taking it from, oh, it barely works. You, you know what I mean? to this can actually uh, automate uh, automate systems properly. And uh, that that drive was really the thing that got me over the line initially so that so the salt could actually function. And there's a lot to be said for having a real user right in the mix that that drives the development. And I mean, you talk about learning stuff fast and and figuring things out and all in self-taught and that kind of stuff. Nothing like nothing like the pressure of having to make it work tomorrow <laughs> to to kind of drive that home. And I imagine you not only spent time working on it maybe during your normal work hours, but also during off hours too, right? Because you can't afford to not have it work. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean at this point I was, you know, I was getting up in the morning, I was driving to work, coming home, spend some time with the family you know, put the kids to bed and then I'd, then I'd work on salt till the wee hours of the morning and then get up again the next day. And it was like that from late 2011 until about, uh, I want to say late 2014 when I ended up in the heart, in the hospital with heart problems because I've been working myself to death just, just all day, all night, constantly pounding away. And I had to kind of step back and say, oh, I better, I got to calm down. I'm, I'm driving myself in the wrong direction here. I've only got one meat sack. I better take care of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, we, we spoke to uh, another guest named Kieran Sheldon a while back. Uh, the episode's called You, Your Health in the Data Center. And he talked about how 
there were some very intense work projects that required him to work, you know, overnights, weekends, super pressurized, and and he kind of had to dial back his approach to to what he took on as a result to make health, you know, more of a consideration. And I think in the in the tech industry, or maybe it's just a tendency toward workaholism, success, completion, whatever you want to call it, we sometimes don't keep our health at the forefront and think about, am I really taking care of myself? And and some of this I'm saying to myself, Tom, <laughs> don't get me wrong, you know, like I, I, I tend to burn the candle at both ends too much and, and I don't even have a an open source project that needs to work, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I can only imagine that that, w- that was some insane amount of work to, to get it going. Yeah, and it, it is an insane amount of work. And, and at the same time, you got to take care of yourself. And the reality is, is that, I mean, you can take care of yourself and work real hard. Um, and finding that balance is really important, understanding where the balance is between taking care of your family and uh, and really fulfilling what it is that you want to make and where you want to go. It's it is a tough balance, and balance is hard. That's that's just life, and that's that's one of the things I tell my kids all the time. Is that um, a good life is a balanced life. Don't get caught up in stuff too much. Don't get too excited about you know politics or whatever. You know that stuff just eats you up and spits you out. If you're not trying to find balance. And you're not, uh, and you're not owning your own shortcomings. If you're not being honest with yourself about the problems that are in front of you, then you're not finding balance. And uh, it's it's worth it. It's worth it to dial it back and constantly say, "Yeah, I got to shift back and forth. I got to try and find a happy medium." It's hard to do, but otherwise, you just you just kind of go nuts, off in one direction, instead of coming back and saying, "What's really going on out there?" How's this stuff really work? I mean, when you step back and look at the world today and say, what's what's actually happening? Man, it's not what's in the news. It's And it's not what's in the conspiracies or anything. It's like, oh, it's just a bunch of human nature and people are dumb and we're crazy and we do stuff and we get, you know, and it's not that big a deal. Stop, you know, stop getting all worked up. We're a lot of imperfect people on yeah, an, we are. in an imperfect world, right? Yeah, we're just people. And this world is complicated. Yeah, it is. Yeah, let it be complicated and try and live a happy life. Now for you, are you able to comment on some of the things that you had to change after you had the the health issue that put you in the hospital? I think that'd be valuable for listeners to understand. Oh yeah. And this was this was really hard for me. Um and and I didn't do it anywhere near as well as I think I should have because I mean, I was the CTO of SaltStack at the time and there was there was a lot of growth I had to go through to to be a CTO. And I look back at a lot of it and I made I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. I mean I'd certainly never done it before and it's easy for me to sit uh in front of a microphone or in front of an audience and say, Yeah man, this is how to live, this is how to do stuff. It's scary. It's incredibly intimidating to look there and say, Man, I just wanted to be an engineer and I got to sit down with somebody and fire them. I just wanted to be an engineer and I've got to figure out how to make payroll. I just wanted to be an engineer and I've got to go into a board meeting and start yelling at people. And I can't, and, and I didn't have it, right? I didn't have the cojones to, to, to do what I should have done. And that's my big regret because I realized that I was kind of hiding from a lot of the, a lot of the other aspects of running a business by focusing so much on the code. 
and I tried to kind of step out of the code and figure out, wait, I need to understand monetization practices. I need to understand what it means to run a business. For me, it was switching gears. It was realizing that it wasn't just dialing back on the work, but understanding that there were new things I needed to learn and change from running like mad in the direction I'm comfortable with and facing my discomfort and being able to step back and say, okay, I need to understand other things. I need to understand how to get stuff done without me having to be the sole energy behind making it happen. I need to understand what are the real market nuances that drive sales and monetization of software? What's actually happening in in the automation world and how can we fit in? And then I and, and I kind of had to reinvent myself. So I would say that, I mean, it's easy to step back and say, oh, yeah, you know, you're working yourself to death. You know, take a breather, you know, go on vacation. But working yourself to death is, it's not just about dialing back the hours. If you're working yourself to death, there's something else that's driving it. Is it, is it because you're desperate to, to get out of a situation that you're in? Is it because you feel a weight of responsibility you shouldn't feel? Is it because you're passionate about the wrong things? And and so it's more of trying to figure out what that root problem was. And so here I am talking about this thing in uh, late 2014, early 2015. And, you know, I go to the hospital because I'm having lots of chest pain. And I can I come home going, I got to I got to fix this. I didn't realize what the core thing was I needed to fix. And I didn't get it fixed for another five years. And because the core thing wasn't business, it wasn't how the code worked, which is where my obsession was. It was the problems in my own personal life that I had to clean up. It was understanding that the, many of the things that were driving me were me resolving, you know, how I view myself, what my responsibility is to my family. Uh, that I was trapped in situations uh, in my personal life that, like, I hadn't done anything wrong, but I'd ended up in some difficult situations uh, that I'm not really at liberty to talk about, but that I had to do really hard things to get out of and really hard things to resolve and get my life in a good place. And it took me another five years to figure all that stuff out. I was I was working myself to death to escape from other personal problems that I was that I didn't have the guts to look at and that's really what it drove down to at least for me yeah it's probably not the answer you were expecting (laughs) no it, it wasn't but what you're talking about is that we all need to do our own root cause analysis of the full human when we have oh yeah problems like you're saying and something's off in our lives and it's not necessarily something you can figure out today or tomorrow it takes a little bit of time to do that full analysis and and maybe that's hard work that we don't always want to do that uh, that's that's really hard work that we that very few people want to do because you've got to you got to look at yourself and you got to be brutally honest and say man these are the things you got to do to clean this up and at the same time you've got to you got to not beat yourself up too much I mean, there's going to be a little beating up nobody's perfect but you got to be able to say okay 
I'm going to have to do real hard things to take care of these problems. And only then are you going to be able to kind of kind of find your path and find find that inner peace so that you can so you can sleep at night. And that stuff, that stuff is what's really really hard. Really really hard. But oftentimes if if you're working too hard, that, 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 there's there's some there's something under the hood that's that's driving you and if you're being driven to an unhealthy place, then that's because there's something that's unhealthy that's driving you there. Okay, let's uh, pause there. Really cool uh, first half of the interview with Tom Hatch. Listening back, you made a really good point. Uh, public speaking as an entryway into the industry and as like one of the main reasons why Tom got his very first job in, in college uh, in the industry. I, I, it actually warms my, my heart. You know, I was a high school speech and debate nerd. Honestly, like one of the main uh, events in speech and debate in high school is giving present. There's one event that is essentially boils down to giving presentations on on how to do something. Oh, nice. There's speeches on like convincing somebody on a point of view. And, you know, those are super highly correlated with stuff that we have to do every day in the corporate world or, you know, in the startup world, even, you know, you have to give presentations, you have to talk and speak in front of people and, and convince them to a point of view, you know, whether it's investing in your company or buying your product or just, you know, coming aboard and and investing in the intellectual things that your company is, is developing. So, um, very, very cool. Or the interview process itself, right? Being oh, yeah. By someone, you're kind of Definitely. giving a mini presentation on yourself. For sure. And I mean, at least in the Google interview now, like um, the ones that involve uh, the customer engineer, there there is a presentation component of that interview. That's becoming more and more common in the industry. <laughs> uh, you know, another thing that jumped out at me was this idea of people who have a history of getting hired on confidence instead of competence. And that reminds me, of, I think we've talked about it once before, but I don't remember when the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, and I'll put a note that we can put in the show notes, a, a link to the Wikipedia article on that. It, it's essentially people are, the less they know about something, the more confident they can feel that they do know something about it and the the deeper you get at something like the less confidence you know sometimes that you have um because you know the intricacies and you know the uh the complexities behind something so people can actually be honestly confident feel like they know something um and feel pretty good about something they don't have to be lying to be uh both competent or sorry confident and not that competent. <laughs> uh, how about you? Anything jump out at you? Well, just real quick, if you're playing Nerd Journey Bingo, you can reference episode 42 with Ethan Banks where you brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect. Ah. Uh. Yeah, a little trivia for you. So <laughs> I liked the fact that 
Tom shared, he loves the response, I don't know, and that you should guard against people who can't say that. He even talked about asking more questions to try and get someone to admit that they didn't know something, but that some people just, they won't. Then they're not going to say that they don't know for whatever reason. You know, there was the advice on how to perform in an interview and some things to say to help your case. But he also talked about that interview process and how he learned a decent model from where he worked. But he iterated on that so that he could really find passionate people that had the right experience. And he wanted to figure out how people would handle hard tasks. Some of the ones that would cause you to say, I don't know, but here's what I might do. Or I know these things around that. I just don't know that other thing. Or I don't know, and this is how I'd figure out what to do next. Yeah. yeah. Or these are the people that I'd call or the resources that I use. Yeah, absolutely. That I don't know, like that is one of the most valuable skills that I ever learned. And well, I think. I must have learned it in college, but it's constantly reinforced. <laughs> For sure. It definitely is. Man, how about those health challenges that he went through? Ooh, those were yeah. intense. Yeah, scary. I loved what he said about working yourself to death and that there has to be a reason you're doing it. Maybe a a hidden problem that you just haven't solved for yourself. And, and he talked about knowing something needed to change to fix the problem but not really being sure how to do that or what the problem to fix was so he's really just seeing the impact of the problem but it hasn't been able to track down the root cause and it took a little bit of time and I that perspective strikes me as as interesting because we haven't heard someone share it in exactly that way before you know a, a health issue is is something that stress a lot of people out if you don't change this then you're gonna not live very much longer for example and racking your brain trying to figure out what to change it's tough yeah that's a that's a big one and it just kind of underlines like the need for an outside independent advisor no matter what level you're on you know you could be heading up a large project a c-level at a startup you still need outside people to like call upon to say, Hey, you know, <laughs> help me out. What's the problem here? You know, what's going on? You know, somebody who isn't, you know, financially aligned with the organization that you're at, right? Somebody who is, you know, only aligned with your interests just seems pretty important. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. Well, um, you know, a great first half. I'm really looking forward to the second half. I think, Hopefully we can uh, hear a little bit more about SaltStack. Um, anything else before we get out of here? I just want to point out, hopefully you heard the about the fire that was lit under Tom from the office manager who said, yeah, I need you to make this work because everybody here hates Puppet, so you're going to do it. <laughs> you know, He was already yeah. kind of doing it, but that was more of a, oh, now I have to do this. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Fun times, fun times. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. All right, farewell listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. 
I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios.